Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. I feel like there's some Sundays where we could just hang the whole time. And after that last song, I feel like we had church already, so this may be the Sunday, I don't know. Uh, Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Nashville Vineyard. My name is Grant. I'm the lead pastor here. Hey, Howie. And uh, we're so glad you're here today. There's a lot of really good churches in town, and uh, and thanks for taking a chance on us, so thank you so much. Uh, We've been in a series uh, for the past couple weeks where we're talking about um, how to have hard conversations, how to enter into difficult uh, conversations with people that believe uh, very differently than we do, that hold different values than we do, and how do we engage them like Jesus? And how do we, uh, how do we gather with people and, and impact the culture around us uh, that isn't uh, visceral and hard and caustic, but that it shows the love of Jesus? And so we believe that this is a pretty, uh, a pretty divided time in our history, that things are, are beginning to rise to a level of, um, I haven't seen it like this before, of just this uh, us against them, it's everyone's picking sides and, and really no one's winning. And so we, we felt like it's important to begin to speak into this uh, because in case you're wondering, the goal of this church is that this church happens more out there than it does in here on a Sunday. And so we're trying to figure out how do we best equip ourselves and each other to go out into our communities and to become Jesus in the church there where the people are as opposed to bringing everyone in here to have church. Obviously, Sundays are important, and we love when people come and are invited, but the main goal is that we equip people and that we learn how do we engage in the culture around us in such a way that shows Jesus uh, to them. So we kicked it off with discussing the idea of, of how important it is for us to, to honor people and to, to submit ourselves to each other and to have this culture of honor that... Uh, that um, is the foundation of what we're building on. And that honor is essentially the thing that, that, that is going to be the catapult for us to be able to engage effectively uh, into our culture around us. And then last week, uh, we, we started out with our, our first affirmation, which is God has all truth, uh, but we don't have perfect understanding of it. And Rick gave a great talk about how uh, truth is, is sometimes hard to understand and the level of truth that we have cl- made clear to us um, varies between uh, what we see and how we see it. And, and while we see in part and we know in part and full truth has not been revealed to us and won't be until Christ returns. And so bouncing off of that and coming into this second affirmation, uh, we're going into the idea that being, love, being loving is just as important as being right. And so we want to take a look at uh, a scripture and, and really the, the book of 1 Corinthians as a guide for us on, on how we're supposed to interact with the culture around us and how we're supposed to maintain uh, a truth posture along with a loving posture. And so we're going to read our, our key verse today is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 2. And it says that if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Jesus, we just ask that you, uh, that you come here today, that your presence rests here today. Holy Spirit, this is your church. 
um, we just give ourselves to you. Come, Holy Spirit, would you guide us into this discussion? Would you prepare our hearts and our, our minds to receive what you have for us? Would you make it easy to preach? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has, has written this letter uh, to 1 Corinthians. And this series is really, we're taking a lot of verses out of 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and so I felt like we need to kind of understand um, the context that Paul is, is writing into. And uh, Corinthian, uh, or Corinth was a, was a, a major commercial port uh, in the area of, of the Roman Empire. It served uh, a lot of purposes. It was where the goddess uh, temple Aphrodite was located. And in the temple there was uh, a thousand uh, female priestesses who were actually prostitutes. And people would come in from all over the region to worship, and, and everything that they did kind of centered around uh, sexual acts and, and deviancy. And then furthermore, there was uh, just an abundance of these wells that were, that were in the village and in the marketplace, and the, and the people of Corinth would produce uh, a lot of wine. And so it goes to, to believe that there was a lot of wine because a lot of people drank a lot of wine. And so you had this sort of uh, culture of debauchery and uh, immorality, so much so that uh, the term Corinthian was used as a slight. It was a, it was a way that people would insult people uh, of, of loose morals. And so this was just a, uh, a culture that was extremely, uh, extremely depraved and, uh, and perverted. And so we have Paul coming here uh, to, to begin to plant the church of God. And so he comes here and he stays with a group uh, with a couple, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, their fellow Jews and fellow tent makers. And he stays in their house and for a year and a half he works diligently to establish the church. And after a year and a half he leaves, he goes on to Caesarea and Priscilla and Aquila leave with him as well. And we, we learn this from pairing Acts and uh, Corinthians together, we can see kind of Paul's journeys. And, and so they leave as well. And so Paul is getting word back uh, of things that are happening uh, in the church in Corinth. And so he's writing this letter as a response to things that are going on within the church uh, that is set in this cultural context. And, uh, and he, he wrote it about two and a half years after uh, he left. And so it's important to realize that, that the letter is actually written to the church and not the town. And, and if we look at the letter of 1 Corinthians as a whole, we see two main themes that seem to run throughout the book. On the, on the one hand, Paul seems to speak a lot of uh, the, the issue of love, of, of seasoning everything we do with love, of being a loving people, of, of explaining truth in love. And, and, and he talks so much so, this is our key verse, is that, is that without love, nothing really matters. It's as though that he's noticed that the people in the church of Corinth were elevating truth above people. That essentially they were saying that, that this truth that we have uh, is more important than the people that the truth is for. And Paul is writing into this and he's stating that, that love supersedes all and love will outlast all. At the same time, you have a second theme that seems to be running the course. And Paul is speaking directly to uh, these pretty incredible acts that are going on within the church, incredible in a negative way. Uh, he talks about incest and how, hey, you shouldn't do that. And he talks about uh, different sort of extreme sexual misconduct. He talks about uh, communion, and it's where we get a lot of our theology for our communion because at the time people were getting drunk off of the communion wine during the church service and, and so much so that they were neglecting the poor during the communion, which is kind of the antithesis of what the communion was all about. 
And so you have seemingly two polar opposite things going on here in, in the church in Corinth. You have on the one hand these people that, that seem to be elevating truth and, and maybe diminishing love. And, and then on the other hand, you, you seem to have these people that are, that are going you know, crazy and, and doing all of these things that we wouldn't even dream of doing here. And so the question has to, has to arise is how does that even happen? How do those two things exist within one church? And, and what is driving that? And, and, and how does Paul speak into it? And so we're going we're to talk about that a little bit today because I think that though these things are, are two primary, they seem opposite ends of, of the spectrum, I believe they're caused by the same stimuli, that there's the same issue at hand that is, that is causing both the move over here to elevation of truth over the, what the truth is for, and then over here into maybe compromising truth in the name of love. And so we're going to look at that and, and, and figure out how does that work within our context because I believe that, that this issue of being loving is just as important as being right is the same issue that Paul is trying to convey throughout his book, 1 Corinthians. And it's an issue that we have to make sure that we understand and learn how to hold these two things in tension. So it can be obvious if we think about the church, uh, the church in Corinth, that, that here they are and they're existing in this culture that, that is outside of them, that, that the culture outside of them is very, uh, is very different. It holds different values. It, it values different things than the church here in Corinth. And it would be easy to understand that the, the more the church grows, the more the church grows in knowledge, the knowledge of God and the goodness of God, that the more it, it begins to understand the truth, the more it can actually begin to understand the separation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the more visible that becomes, there is uh, unfortunately a tendency that you can elevate your own self in the name of like self-promotion and arrogance above those other people who don't have your truth, don't have the truth. And there can be an arrogance that seems to infiltrate when, when such a stark contrast can be drawn. And Paul seems to talk about this in, the, in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. He, he says that, that knowledge can puff us up. That, that truth alone isn't exactly the whole ball game. And he begins to talk to the Corinthians over and over again about this idea of seasoning everything that they do with love. And that while truth is direly important, and it is, that without love, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a clanging gong, is what he calls it. It's as though that he, he's, he understands that, that truth is what we need, but love is the till, it's the tool that, that plows the heart, that allows the truth to be implanted in us and to grow from that. That love is the key, it's the gateway to bring it in. And so we see that, that as the culture begins to shift, that as the culture begins to move further away from the culture of the church, that there is there is a tendency. There's a tendency to, to really go either way. There's a tendency to elevate the truth and to forget about what truth is for. And that the truth of the gospel, the truth that we have, the truth of the word, is actually for people. And it exists for them. And it's amazing because we know that, but it's very easy to lose sight of that. It's very easy to lose sight of the idea that our truth that we have, the truth that has been given to us, actually exists for the world. At the same time, 
we have to understand that truth is vitally important and that we do have the truth and that we have a responsibility to share that truth. And so we have, we have what, uh, what Paul refers to uh, in Ephesians. He says that um, uh, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. This is 4, uh, verse 14 through 15. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is that the head that is Christ. And so as we, as we look at this, this idea of truth and love and what Paul is explaining, we have to go where we always have to go. We have to go to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus and say, what, it, what was Jesus like? How did Jesus engage with the culture? How did Jesus interact with his culture? And, and then how can we then become more like him in the way that we engage and interact? I think of Jesus in Matthew. Uh, it's chapter 11, verse 19. He's explaining uh, how that, that people have mistaken his love for people as his acceptance of what they're doing. He says that people have even called me and accused me of being a drunkard and a glutton because he was so engaged with the culture around him. He was so in love with the people of that culture that other people assumed that he was taking part in it. I think of Jesus, though, when he meets Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is this, uh, this villainous uh, scoundrel of the town. He's, he's parading and masquerading as a tax collector, but he's just robbing everyone in that village. And Jesus is coming through and he looks past everyone else and he says that he's going to that guy's house. And I can imagine, really, I mean, we've made it such a cute kid's story, but I can imagine being in the audience and think that I'm being denied the presence of Jesus for that guy. How could he even think about that? And we know the rest of the story that he does go to his house and, and Zacchaeus invites him in. And then we see that, that whatever happened in that interaction, whatever happened when he was in his house changed Zacchaeus completely. And he, and he gave back everything that he'd stolen and he repented. And we see this, this, this movement of Jesus where he radically loves and he radically calls to obedience. And we are supposed to do Likewise. That's what we are called to do. Jesus seems to lead with love. Paul seems to say we lead with love. As a church here, we have to understand that we lead with love. It isn't the truth that leads to repentance. It's God's kindness and his love. And it's the love that we give, the love that we show, that leads to change. See, the deal is, is that we're all called to speak the truth in love. And I think that verse, like a lot of verses, are misused to beat people over the head. It's an excuse that I can use the truth uh, that I have to, to turn it into a weapon in, in a war of self-promotion and make myself feel better. And I can say, well, I'm speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth in and of itself, isn't necessarily loving. That's not what it says. But that love should season all the truth that we speak. We're supposed to be a people of love. We're supposed to be a people that communicate in a loving way. Paul says it like this uh, a little bit more in chapter 13. It's actually the end of uh, chapter 12. 
uh, through chapter 13. He says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It does not easily get angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so we see that, that love is what will last. Our love is the thing that's going to carry us. We begin to understand that, that it is this lovingness that drives us towards others outside. There's been a, a, an increasing uptick uh, in violence uh, in our neighborhood since we moved in. Uh, there's been uh, gunshot victims and wounds that, that have increased. And uh, in fact, it's so bad the city is giving out tourniquets and teaching lessons on how to, how to stop bleeding because there's, gun violence is, is higher than it's ever been in the city. And we're called to go there. And we're called to go there and take vengeance on the enemy. To go there and begin to bring the peace, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, in our neighborhood as it is in heaven. And that's where we're called to engage. And we're not going to be able to do that effectively if it's not with love. We're not going to be able to, to reach the hearts of the people around us, the city that God has called us to reach, unless it's first with love. And so we have to understand that, that while being right is good and being right is important, so is being loving. And, and if you are communicating the truth in love, then the person that you're communicating the truth to needs to really know that you love them. They, really, they need to, to understand that the truth that you're communicating is coming from a place of love. You can't just assume that. You don't get to. So you have to make sure that whoever it is you're talking to, whoever it is you're engaging with, understands fully that, that you do love them. And that you love them even if they don't accept or agree with the truth that you're trying to call them to. And it's only when they believe those things will they even care at all about any of the truth that you're having. So it's important. I, uh, you, you won't be able to tell this now, but I used to have a little bit of a weight problem. I'm kidding. You can probably tell it now. 
And, and growing up, it was, it was kind of a thing. Uh, I was never like extremely overweight, but I was pretty overweight as a kid. And, uh, and you develop things. I grew up in a pretty rough public school, and so you develop defense mechanisms and, and how to stave off the attacks of the playground and all of that sort of stuff. And I became very good with my words, and, and I could cut people down pretty quickly. And, uh, and that was my defense mechanism. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a dog-eat-dog world on the playground in third grade, and you do what you got to do to survive. You know, and so I, would, I, would, uh, I became pretty good at it. And, uh, and it became an issue with me that it was, you know, it was an insecurity that I had. Um, and, and growing up, I think we all have insecurities, right? We all have things that, that make us, you know, it's just like that's the one area, don't go there. And our friend group, it's interesting, they, they all, we all knew each other's hot buttons that we didn't need to go unless it was nuclear war. And, uh, and so that was mine. And uh, as, I, as I grew up, as I matured, as I became... Um, you know, more enlightened as a human being, I began to understand that that's ridiculous and I began to kind of take ownership of who I was and began to, to love myself uh, as Christ loved me and all those sort of things. And it's, it's still a struggle. I've, uh, uh, I'm back on a diet again. I've, I've gained a little weight since Kayla's been born, which apparently is two and a half years ago, so that's no longer an excuse. But I'm still going to use that excuse as long as I can. Uh, I really like going out to eat. That's the excuse. Um, but, and so it's something that I've just, I, it's been a part of my life forever. I mean, I remember like literally in kindergarten and, and mom and dad, if you're listening to this on podcasts, this is no judgment against you. You guys did a great job. They listen a lot. Um, uh, I remember in kindergarten, you know, seeing like the husky on, on the shorts and be like, what is this? And it was like, oh, you know. And so it's just always a thing with me. And even as I became, a, you know, a grown up and mature and, and self-assured and somewhat successful and all of these sort of things, it's interesting how we can go quickly to the playground, mentally. And uh, and so I've been married. Sarah and I celebrated uh, ten years of our wedding of our marriage on um, Friday of this past week. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so we've been a decade together. And we've had incredible highs and incredible lows together. And we've stuck with each other. I'm pretty sure now that she's never going to leave me. If she hasn't left me already by this point, I think we're good. We're in the clear. Um, but we've had, we've had some terrible moments together. And we've, we've climbed through those things. And, and there's no one else in the whole world that I know loves me more than her. And, and there's no one else that I trust more fully than she does. Or than I do for her. And so uh, I, I know these things, like, like to my core. And she loves me. And I know she loves me. And it's because she loves me that sometimes she says, hey, thought about going for a run lately? <laughs> and I know it's not because, <laughs> it's not because she doesn't like me and she wants me to feel bad. It's because she loves me and she knows that, that you know, obesity is not a great thing. And I should probably get more healthy. And I'm, apparently I'm getting older. And so those two things seem to correlate a bit. And the older I seem to get, the more concerned she seems to become with my health, and really the less concerned I get. And so it's, it's, this, it's this thing. And so she, she's, she looks out for me. And like, I know she loves me. I mean, I get it. I mean, there's no question. 
But even when she says that, and I know where it's coming from, there's this little part of me that's still on the playground that's like, excuse me. You know, and I have to resist going to what I know will get her because that's not what she's doing. But that's there, right? That's a part of me that growing up, like that's an area, if it gets touched, then look out. And I know she loves me. We've been together for now. It's like 13 years that we've been together. And, and I, like, I know it. But even in that, I have this reaction that is so strongly tied to my past. It's so strongly tied to insecurities that I have. That I have to stop myself from reacting in an inappropriate way to someone that I know loves me more than anyone else on the planet. How much more then do we have to let other people know that we love them before we begin to point out things that they could interpret as being flaws or insecurities in their lives? I mean, it made me think, like, if if I react like that to something so superficial, to, to the person that I know loves me more than anything in the world, I mean... How do people react when we say things that can be interpreted as as negative about who they are as people when they they don't know that we love them? And just because we say that we love them doesn't matter, to be honest. Because we we have to show it. And we we may have to show it for a long time. And there's thankfully a Holy Spirit who can do the work that takes years and seconds. And we pray for that and we yearn for that. But there's also the fact that, that loving people is, is a lifelong endeavor. Loving our community is a lifelong endeavor. And beginning to see change, beginning to see people internalize the truth that they desperately need could be a longer process than, than what it takes to post something on our Facebook wall. Because love is patient, it's kind, it's gentle, it's long-suffering. And as a church, as, as this church, we're called to be a bastion of hope and light to our city. And it's no surprise, to be honest with you, that the level of violence is rising Because I believe as the enemy begins to see what's written on the walls that he begins to rally the forces. And so I think we're actually on the precipice of a pretty big breakthrough in our city. I'm I'm excited about it. And so we're called to engage the people in our lives. We're called to engage the people that we work with. and, And the very first way that we do that is love. And the very last way that we do that is through love. And in the middle, It's also through love. And the deal is, is that that's actually the gospel. That that we love God because he first loved us. It's the only way. And it's, it's it's our acknowledging and seeing and believing and feeling the love of God the Father for us that inspires us to turn from our ways and follow him. We don't turn from our ways and follow him and then learn that he loves us. That's religion. And the gospel of Jesus says that you'll never be able to earn it because I first loved you before you don't even have a chance. And we see Jesus, uh, when when he was 
on the earth and we see his interactions with, with people and, and they could even be deeming like he, he, he diminished the idea of sin, that he, he maybe didn't think it was that big of a deal. And maybe you could get that, that picture until we see the cross. And until we see that he took sin so seriously that he, he gave his own life for it to deal with it once and for all and to make a way for us out of that. And so just like Jesus, we lovingly, radically, uh, with everything we have, engage with our culture, with our community, with our friends, with our family. But just like Jesus, the love that we give does not diminish the truth that we have. And, and compromising our truth, changing the truth that he has given us, watering it down as a way to be more loving doesn't really work. Because what we see is that, is that truth and love actually serve each other. And that when you have truth that's elevated over love, then the truth that we have becomes more important than the people the truth is for. And then when you have love for people that elevates them over the truth that we have, we see that they actually don't get the good of the gospel. They don't get the, the meat that they need, the, the growth, the change that needs to take place in their life. They don't get that. You see, we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but just because you, you, you love someone doesn't mean that you have to accept everything they do. Now, vice versa, just because you don't accept something someone does doesn't mean you don't love them. The antithesis of love isn't hate. It's apathy. It's not caring. And so, so if I love Sarah and she loves me, then she wants better for me. And so she should always be moving me towards my best self that I can possibly be because she knows what I need. It's the same with truth and with love. If you have the truth and you love someone and you never tell them the truth, then do you really love them? I would say no. Because love risks... Love risks the pain that, that, that's potentially there in the confrontation of delivering this truth in a loving manner. She, she, risks, she risks an afternoon where we could get in a fight when she approaches me with the truth that you should probably go for a run. And if she didn't love me, then she would just not care and not do it and let him be me. You know what I mean? but it's because she loved me, she's compelled to deliver the truth. And so we have to understand as we engage with people in our culture, as, as, as we're called to engage with our city, that, that we have to hold these two things in equal tension. It's why we refer to this idea as of the radical middle. There, there's always a, a, a tendency to go one way or the other way. And what happens is, is that in the church, we'll identify another person in the church that is going the way that we don't like, and so we'll react against that and go the opposite way. That's wrong, too. And he's calling us to walk that radical line in the middle of holding both truth and love in equal tension. And that's really, really hard. I mean, it's really difficult. It causes you to be vulnerable. It causes you to keep your mouth shut when you don't want to. It causes you to associate with people at a time in their lives that you may begin to feel uncomfortable around. 
It causes you to risk greatly when it is time for you to deliver that truth. It's a scary thing. But that's, that's the ball game for us. I mean, that's what we're called to do. This is what Paul is talking about over and over again in 1 Corinthians. He, he's, he's continually saying that you need to have love. And that because you have love, then you have truth. And it's a circular motion. And so we're, we have some practical things uh, that we can do. Because we want this to be a practical uh, series where we can actually learn to begin to engage. We're going to begin to reach more into our communities out here. Like as a church, we're going to do more outreach things. We're going to start uh, engaging the community. Uh, the kids camp is an excellent example of that. There's other things. We've been working with the community center across the street. We're getting ready to partner with them on some after school stuff. Uh, a lot of exciting things are happening. And so we feel this call to, to now that we've been here for a couple of months and we kind of like circled the wagons and, and strengthened up a bit. Now it's time to go back out and, and to do the work that we're actually called to do. And so we're going to begin to engage corporately as a church, but then my prayer and our hope is that we all begin to engage corporately, uh, individually, on our own. Propelled and driven by love. We, we had a, a guy come to the house uh, Saturday, Friday, to, to put in a playground. And he, uh, he came to the house, and uh, as soon as he got out of the car, I mean, he just he couldn't even walk. He had, his discs had blown out of his back, um, all of this sort of stuff. And it was just like, it was incredibly apparent that he was in excruciating pain. And I was, I was late for work. And, um, and so I was just a little bit annoyed that I had to go around and walk around with him and show him everything and all of this sort of stuff in my suit, and I was getting dirty. And then I realized hey, I'm supposed to love this guy. And, uh, and so, I, and the Lord was gracious. He made it like incredibly apparent that I was supposed to pray for him. And so I did, and he got healed instantly. Like, just completely healed. I didn't feel anything. I was just like, okay, Lord, heal him. All right, I gotta go, you know, that sort of thing. And then boom, complete healing. And he was amazed. He wasn't a believer. And um, it's always interesting to see people's reactions of that. I always think they're gonna cry, and they don't usually cry at all. <laughs> But he, you know, it was just, it was, and it just, the Lord spoke to me afterwards. I was kind of reflecting on that. And he was like, you know, I had to make it really obvious for you today because you haven't been in a posture of love. It wasn't just something that was, that was, I was enraptured with. And so he's calling us to be a community that is postured, that is steeped, that is soaked and drenched in love for people so much so that we can't help but show it, that we can't help but risk everything for it, and that we can't help but do anything we can do to build a bridge to them in order to deliver the truth that we have. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he's calling you to do. That's what he's calling me to do. And so practically, we want to look at three, three ways that we can approach a situation. So the first is that we choose to love the person, which loving the person doesn't mean, we just talked about this, doesn't mean that we have to agree with them, affirm their belief, or even affirm their actions. But we can decide that since Jesus loves all of us, we can choose to love that other person too. Loving someone doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. We, we've had this idea that, that the way we know we're a family, the way that we know we're on the same team, all that stuff is, do you agree with the certain things that I agree with? But if we look at our families, or earthly families, we share a lot of things that we don't have in common. But what we do have in common is the same blood, the same body, 
and it brings us back together. And so much more should it be for the church. And so just because someone doesn't agree to your points of theology, just because someone doesn't agree to things that you think are important, doesn't necessarily mean that they're out. And just because you love them doesn't mean that you agree with them. So it's important to know. So we have to keep that in mind. So that happens first. The second thing is that we actually try to persuade the person with gentleness and respect. And, and we see that persuasion is actually a form of love. This is difficult for me sometimes. Because I think I don't ever want anyone to feel like I'm trying to sell them something. Right? We don't ever want to feel like we're like people that we're trying to love them for something. And so I, I wrestle with this sometimes. But if we peel away kind of our, our preconceived notions, then we understand that we actually have life-giving truth, life-changing truth, eternal truth. And, and trying to get someone to come to grasp with that is a wonderful thing. And so we, we understand that it's okay to try to, and get someone to believe something that you believe in. That's okay. There's a, there's a, a huge lie in the culture that says that, that you have your truth and I have my truth and they have their truth and let's just all hang out. That's, that doesn't work logically if you break that down. There's, there's no such thing as different truths. There is one truth. And then there are other things that aren't truths. That's just the meaning of truth. So that doesn't work. So, so working to explain to someone, that's a good thing. It's messy, but that's good. And the third thing I think is actually the most important thing. Um, you, you've got to know to, to let it go at some point. At some point in the conversation, in the, in the argument, if it becomes an argument, this is absolutely the point, you, you choose to let it go. You choose to understand that, that, you know what, we're not actually called to convict people, and we're not called to save people. That's the Holy Spirit and Jesus' job, which is, that takes the pressure off. And so at some point, if you're having this loving conversation and you're seeing signs of it becoming more of a disagreement or an argument, or, or there's some anger behind it, or there's some hurt behind it, then the best thing to do is stop it. And then when you stop it, you change tactics. And you change from, from a persuasion to a serving. And you make it in your mind that I'm going to wash this person's feet. Because I need them to know that I love them. And as you're serving them, you move from, from a posture of, of, of persuasion to serving and to prayer. Because you understand that your prayers are far more powerful than your powers of persuasion. And praying for someone can do amazing things. And so we have to see that. We have to understand that that is how we are called to engage in our culture. So, some practical steps because hopefully we're actually going to begin to do these things. Hopefully we're going to begin to talk to our friend who is smarter than us, who's an atheist, that we can't even imagine having all these answers. But we're going to move into this, we're going to lean into these hard conversations because I promise you there's gold there. There's gold for your relationships, there's gold for that person. And so we're going to begin to move into that. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to have a time of communion as a way to, to understand that God loved us before we loved him. 
And so as we partake of the elements of communion, we understand that it's the body and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that was given to you far before you ever even thought about loving him back. And as we take those elements at our seats after a time of reflection, as we take those elements in us, we understand that now we are in him and he is in us. And now if he is in us, then we can go out and love. And we can love dangerously and we can love like he does. And so we're going to have some, some ministry time here at the front. If you haven't experienced the love of the Father, if you haven't felt that to your core, if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are truly, deeply his beloved, I, we would, we, we're gonna, that's what we're going to pray for today, here. And so that you tangibly feel the presence of the Lord on your life in such a way that there's no doubt that he loves you. Because it's only then are we able to give love once we have it. So please, uh, we're, we're going to take communion. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. And as you feel led, if you feel led, we're going to have people up front that are going to pray for you that you will experience that love. So Father, we just ask that you make it easy on us to begin to engage in the people around us, the people in our lives that believe differently than us, that you begin to open up conversations, open up pathways, that you keep in mind, in our minds, that we are to love them radically and we are to radically love the truth. Would you help us walk that, that uh, radical middle, narrow road that leads us to the hearts of the people you're calling us to? Yeah, we just say that we're sorry. We repent of our anger towards those who believe differently than us. We repent of the hatred that we may have in our hearts for others. Lord, we see them as not as winners or losers of some cosmic game show, but as people that are deserving of love because they bear your image and you created them. Would would your love for people so enrapturous that we can't help but share. We can't help but love. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Real quick before we go, as Grant was speaking about the rising violence in our town, our community right here, I felt like the Lord said, well, we can stand against it today and we can change it just by our prayer. So before we dismiss and go into any more ministry, I would just really like us to join together right now and just break off this attack on our community around it because it's not of the Lord. And uh, so let's go ahead and pray. I'm going to lead. If you guys will join in with me, it'd be awesome. So Lord, thank you so much for this church. Lord, thank you for your hand over Nashville and our community, God. Thank you, Lord, that your plans are good. You've got good things for our future and for the people here in Nashville. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we just rebuke any rise in violence right now in the name of Jesus. Any kind of spirit of death, we break you off in the name of Jesus right now. I speak peace to the community here in East Nashville. I speak peace to Nashville in Jesus' name and the surrounding areas. Holy Spirit, would you just flow out of this church, God, into the streets. Would you just flow out, Lord, let today be a day that they notice a change in the community, a change in the community. We speak peace over the schools in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that today, Father, that there would just be just a a joy and just a revival 
of your presence in this community. In Jesus' name. Yes, God, you are the light of the world. Would you shine out, Lord, and break off that darkness in Jesus' name. Amen. And if anybody else needs any ministry, you can come forward. We'd love to pray for you about anything that you would need. The worship band's going to keep going, and we're just going to create that atmosphere to just bless anybody that needs just a touch of the Father today. So, and if you are good, we just pray you have a wonderful week. Would you hug somebody before you leave and just have a great week in Jesus' name. Love you guys. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.